Good morning. Uh, before we begin, I just want to kind of give a, a message on behalf of Wendy. She was speaking with me, and uh, we're really in need uh, for some kids' view help. So if there's any chance sometime this week uh, that you'd be able to contact either Melissa or Wendy, or there's some sheets to fill out, uh, even if you can just do one week this summer to help our kids uh, continue to learn about the Lord as well, uh, that would be really appreciated. So yeah, speak to any of the staff, uh, Wendy in particular, and we'll make sure we can set you up. But it'd be really helpful if we could get some, uh, a few more families maybe to sign up for kids' view. Thank you. Well, it's a big day in sports today. Viva la France. Sorry, I know. A few of you Germans out there probably are not happy with that. Epic fail. <laughs> um, and we also have right now a Canadian tennis player battling out against the Brits, right? So, yeah. The Jays are picking it up. Yeah. You guys are probably wondering why I'm talking about sports so much. Cole's not here, so I have a free week, so he's not going to cut my sound on me. Uh, and there's also another thing that's been going on, kind of the background. So those who might follow the NHL, there's been the development camps going on. You know what the development camps are? This is where the top prospects for the NHL are with the respective teams kind of hashing it out to see who's the best. With the, the Maple Leafs, we've got Austin Matthews, number one draft pick. I don't know, the, the great hope for Toronto. And there's a lot of uh, pressure on that young guy, right? He's the number one draft pick. And we're really hoping he's not an epic fail. However, there have been number one draft picks who didn't pan out. I'm thinking of Alexandra Dying. Remember him from Ottawa? Who, who came out saying that he's so happy he was the number one pick because no one ever met Remmer's second. No one ever remembers him very much now because he never panned out. And sometimes we kind of think of those, those top prospects when they don't pan out. That's kind of like an epic fail. And one epic fail that we find in Scripture was a top prospect. In fact, he was handpicked and delivered to a message to the parents with an angel. We don't see that very often. His name was Samson. We're going to turn to Judges. So if you have your Bibles with you, Judges 13. And we're going to walk through uh, a lot of Scripture. So this, this is actually an epic. The story itself is an epic. And hopefully I don't fail at delivering this. It begins with this visitation of, of an angel upon a poor, barren Israelite woman. However, before this, we get this very telling set-up verse. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's a really interesting passage. What we're hearing again is the judges cycle. If you know anything about the judges, it basically is a cycle of the same story where Israel starts following after other gods, acting up, doing what is right in their own eyes, it says each time. And as they do what's right in their own eyes, they start to fail. And what starts to happen is they get captured by other nations until they cry out to the Lord, oh God, help us. And the Lord shows up, gives them a judge, a redeemer who delivers them. And then they start to do what was right in their own eyes again. And so now we're in this place where they've been going through a, a number of different Canaanite groups that have, have captured them and, and now they've kind of been delivered from them. And now all of a sudden we have this new group on the scene called the Philistines. 
The Philistines aren't part of the original Canaanite culture. They're kind of imports, much like Israel itself, with, with Abraham coming back in. And we're now here in Canaan, after Israel's been redeemed from Egypt, and they find themselves in the hands of the Sea Peoples. I don't know if we have any people from Cyprus or, or Turkey around here, but that's who the Philistines are. They've come across the sea, and they've landed in Israel, and they've set up base in these five cities right close to the coast. And we know that they're, they are, had this culture because we found a lot of pottery, and it actually matches the pottery that's coming from Turkey and Greece and Cyprus at this time. And so we have the Sea Peoples. They've set up shop in the land of Canaan, and they've already captured the Israelites. The problem is, the Israelites don't kind of care. They've been through this a, a lot. They're, they're not even getting worked up. They're not even really, they don't even cry out to the Lord about this one. They're so used to this mentality of being captured and defeated that now they don't care that they're captured by the Philistines. And so God decides, I'm going to put this into my own hands. And he sends an angel down. And this angel speaks to a certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites. He had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink. And you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb, and he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Do you imagine receiving this angelic visitor telling you that your child is about to release your people from captivity? And then she delivers this message to her husband, who's a little bit perturbed that he didn't get to see the angel. So he's like, God, it says he begs, God, can, you, can I see the angel too? He begs God that, that the angel will return and tell him how he's supposed to raise this child. And so the angel comes back, explains to him, I want him to be a Nazarite. Now, if you want to know about who the Nazarites are, it's very interesting. They have basically three rules. Let me read from... Uh, the Nazarite vow, actually, in number 6.1, explains the whole thing to you. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink, and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. Not even Raisin Bran. <laughs> as long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine. Not even the seeds or the skins. Not even grape seed oil. So this is the first rule. You cannot have anything from the vine. The second rule. During the entire period of the Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Number two, you have to grow your hair long. 
And number three, throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they cannot make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them. They can't even go to mom or dad's funeral. Because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout this period of their dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. This is the Nazarite vow. This is the vow that we think John the Baptist took. That maybe even Paul took for a period of time. There are Nazarites who were traveling with Paul for a period of time. This is the interesting part. Nazarite vows were a certain length of time, maybe seven years or a certain period of time. Samson is declared a Nazarite for his entire life. Must be a little bit more difficult in that culture. Especially since we know the Philistines, we've dug up some of their uh, marketing material and they sell a lot of beer and a lot of wine. So we have a lot of this marketing going on in the, in the Philistine area, and here's Samson trying to grow up as a Nazarite. And things start off well. It actually says that the, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and helps grow him in the Lord. He actually has the, the strength of, like a, of, a, of a Superman. That's, that's the trade-off. You get to be a Nazarite, you get to be Superman. I don't know about you. That'd be an all right trade. Have the Holy Spirit of God upon me and empower me to free all the people. However, Samson, as he starts to grow stronger and stronger, as the Lord puts favor upon him, he has a little bit of a weakness that starts to pop up. A weakness that a lot of young people have. This is a weakness that he has of lust. Samson went down to Tunea and there saw a young Philistine woman. Notice this, he, he only sees her right now. He hasn't talked to her yet. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? No, son, please don't. This breaks the law. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Kind of a little secret in the background thing that's happening. Notice what he says. Get her. Get her for me. And in the actual uh, text, it says, get her for me. She's right in my eyes. Ooh. Just like Israel kept saying, whatever is right in my eyes. Sam says, she's right in my eyes. Despite his vows. Now, I want to point out that he's told not to, to marry this woman because the law says not to marry Philistine woman. Now, this isn't racial. This is spiritual. We know this because Moses himself marries a black woman in Numbers 12. So what's happening here is we're, we're seeing that the parents are worried that they're going to connect and they're not going to connect spiritually. And we see this all the time where when, when the, a spiritual part isn't part of the marriage, a lot of trouble ensues. And so his parents are very afraid. Very afraid. And the law has... has said that you are not allowed to do this, and he decides, you know what? 
I want her. And it begins the slow devolution from God. Now, it's interesting to know that God is going to use this mistake. He's going to use this mistake. He will take this sin and begin his delivering. But it doesn't mean that Samson is right. And then Samson goes down with all his family, and he approaches these vineyards. He's walking through a vineyard, first of all. Already a little bit sketchy. He's not supposed to be near these grapes. He's walking through a vineyard, and it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him because a lion was roaring at him. Imagine just, you're walking through a vineyard, and a lion just starts charging at you. What would you do? Probably not what Samson did. He grabs it with his hands, and he rips it apart as if he had done it to a young goat. What? I don't know about you. I'm not ripping apart young goats with my hands very well. This is a whole other culture, right? They're like, but he just rips this lion apart because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is showing the strength of God. The strength of God is still with him, even though he's on a way to a marriage forbidden by God. The grace of God is apparent. He's walking through this vineyard. It comes across this line, rips it apart, which means he's in the presence of a dead body. Now, you might recognize it would be hard for Samson to stay away from dead bodies because we're able to see a whole lot of dead bodies, right? The kill count starts to climb it. So we'll let this one pass. He kills a, he kills a lion, leaves it in the ground, and he goes back and he, he, he goes to marry the woman. And then it says, well, on his way back, when he, he, he goes down and sees her, finally speaks to her, says, I like her, still I want to marry her. He goes back home, and as he comes back again to marry her, it says that he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. And he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. And we rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. What we're seeing here is the breaking of the first vow. He has gone into an unclean animal that is dead, a carcass, taken out the honey and eaten of it. Not only that, he decided that he doesn't care about the law and he's going to make his parents unclean as well. And so his father went down to see the woman and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. And when the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. So as he starts this kind of move towards marrying this woman, he decides, I'm going to have a wild bachelor party. In fact, in the Hebrew, it says, I'm going to have a drinking party. Check off box number two. He's now denied the Nazarite vow by drinking. But he doesn't care. That too is broken. He doesn't know who he's provoking, but he'd rather get to his joking. And so what he does, he decides to make these riddles. He's sitting with all these Philistines, and he wants to create a riddle for them. To, to get, basically, he's going to get a little bit of filthy lucre here, because he realizes that they could never answer this riddle. And he says to them, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. 
Now, no one would ever know what the heck he's talking about unless they had been there with him. And so he has, makes this bet, and it's all about getting these 30 coats and a lot of other uh, good stuff. And the Philistines are getting really upset because they can't figure out the riddle. And so they go to his wife and they say, we're going to burn you if you don't figure out this riddle for us. And so she begs them and begs them for seven days. And says, she's thinking, please, Samson, can you tell me? And finally, Samson says, okay, and he tells her. She tells the Philistines. The Philistines come and answer the riddle. And now he has to get all this stuff, all this clothes and gold and stuff. So guess what he does? He goes down to the village and kills 30 Philistines. Takes all their coats and gives it to his companions and says, you would never have known if you, if you didn't talk to my wife. And so he's very upset. And they're all upset with him. He ends up marrying this woman. He leaves. And they're in this weird marriage uh, that would happen sometimes where you wouldn't live in the same house. You would go visit your wife sometimes at, your, at her father's house and bring some gifts, and then you go back home. So he's in this kind of marital arrangement. So he leaves for a while. He comes back to the house, and Samson finds out that his father-in-law has married off his wife to someone else. And so he gets very upset. And he goes, and he kills many more Philistines. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, starts fighting. He's, it's a one-man battle against the oppressors. Not for any kind of good motives, but now he's really upset that they've done this to, to him. And so he kills all these Philistines, and they get really upset, and guess what they do? They burn Samson's wife and his whole house. So Samson gets even madder. And he wants to fight these, and he slaughters as he slaughters many of them. And finally, the Philistines gather up an entire army, and they go down to, to Judah. And Judah gets really scared. The, the people of Judah are still not ready for this fight with the Philistines. 3,000 of these people grab Judah, and they say, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done? I did what they did to me, he says. They say, we got to give you the Philistines. He says, okay, just promise me you won't kill me. All right. They tie him up with some fresh new ropes. They bring him down. And the Spirit of the Lord comes down powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabs it. He strikes down a thousand men. And then he gives this little rhyme. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Can you imagine him just chanting this to himself? He's kind of like a battle rapper, kind of, like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Jawbone drops. <laughs> and he's there, and he's defeated. Now he's killed a thousand of these Philistines on his own. We can get into this whole crazy picture of what's happening with this idea of, of a, a strong man who's able to take a thousand people through the Spirit of God, right? Anyways, he, he defeats this army, and he's left thirsty, and he's crying out to God. He's finally, this is the first time he ever speaks to God in this whole passage. You have given your servant this great victory. Do I have to die of thirst now? In the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place and lay, and water came out of it when Samson drank, and his strength returned, and he revived. He finally cries out to God, God, I, I, I'm going to die. And God finally 
comes through despite all that Samson's done in ignoring him. God provides. God revives. But what does Samson do? Next thing he does, he runs and he, he goes to a prostitute's house. Once again, a Philistine. Once again, it gets him into trouble, and the Philistines are going to ambush him, and he grabs the, the city gates because they locked him in the city, and he rips them up, and he carries them all the way back home. Samson is not astute, if you haven't noticed. He got with a prostitute. He's continuing down this path of lust, but his ego knows no bounds. He thinks, it's not hurting me. You think he might start to understand this whole Philistine women thing isn't working out, right? No, he finds an even prettier woman named Delilah in whom he delights. And he starts having a relationship with her. And what she starts doing is like, tell me why you're so strong, Samson. Tell me why you're so strong. And so he tells her things about how he could be made weak again. Tie me up with fresh bowstrings that haven't been dried. I'll be weak as a, a normal man. So then she does it. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Gets up, starts defeating them all. You think after that, you'd be like, okay, I'm not going to stay with this girl. Right? <laughs> nope. She even says this. She dares says, you made a fool out of me. Why do you try to kill me? <laughs> if anyone ties me securely with new ropes, then I'll be weak as any man. Okay. Goes to sleep. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. What? Ah, kills them all. You made a fool out of me. Tell me how you can be tied. Okay, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into a loom, then I will be weak as any other man. She does that. That's pretty crazy. By the way, the Rastafarians believe that he was a Rastafari because of this, right? He has seven locks. I think he had seven dreadlocks here. It's very interesting. In any case, they, they, she, she weaves his, his braids into this loom. Guess what happens? Philistines are upon you! Kills them all. No, you really got it done. I look like such an idiot, Samson. <laughs> you are such an idiot, Samson. <laughs> how can you say I love you and you won't tell me how to kill you? <laughs> she actually says, How can you say I love you? And it says, and so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. How stupid is that? And I've been reading all this, and I, I, I'm struggling. I'm just like, it almost seems so stupid as, like, you start to go, like, oh, God, it sounds like just a legend. It's just like a stupid story. Like, no one would be that stupid, Right? And as I started reading it and, and studying it, the more I started to understand it, I started realizing, you know what? Samson's not necessarily as stupid as we think. He's got the biggest ego possible. He's got a huge ego. He says after each time he tells him a trick, he says, I would be as weak as any other man. He says it after this too. Oh, then I'd be weak as any other man. He thinks he's just kind of flippantly given another stupid story to her. 
He doesn't think it really matters that much. He's broken already two of the Nazarite vows. Nothing happened. So now he's like, yeah, cut my hair. I'm Samson. And then she cries as she cuts his hair. The Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go it as before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Epic fail. He did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines grab him, they gouge out his eyes. He's their top prize. They put him in chains. He starts treading grain like oxen for them. And then one day, they're all excited by what they've done. They want to pray him out. They bring him to the temple. And there are 3,000 people on the roof, it says. We've, we've actually found archaeology of these temples that this actually existed. And they're all looking at him. And then they sing their battle rap rhymes to him. Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And they're all excited. It says they were in high spirits. Bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they bring out Samson. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he had any special skills or what he was doing, juggling or something. I'm not sure. They bring him out to entertain. Can you imagine the humility that he must have had forced upon him? Humiliation. All of a sudden, this man who was mighty and leading the charge against the Philistines, he's in the center of this land, and they're all just laughing at him. And then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. The Philistines were getting lax themselves. They didn't realize Samson's hair, it says, was starting to grow back. And you're starting to wonder, like, what's that mean? Is, that, is it going to be, able, what's, what's going to happen? And then Samson's put in this temple with his pagan God. And he's put it between the pillars. And he puts his hand in the pillars. He's like, God, just please, one, one last push. And the strength comes upon him. And he pushes these pillars. And the whole thing collapses in on him. And he defeats more Philistines who are killing his people than in he had, when he had lived. How do we learn from this epic fail? I don't know if you, if you follow this story. This is, a, this is actually a microcosm of the picture of Israel itself, right? Slowly but surely going down in a downward spiral. Samson, with a, all this beautiful angelic announcement, is an, a wasted opportunity. Why? Because he got wasted. He had the Holy Spirit of God upon him and he debased it. Samson had weaknesses like each of us, but he didn't face it. Here's the epic fail of a redeemer sent to deliver his people. And so I just want to say, when I read this, what I start to think to myself is, we need to watch our weakness those little seeds, those little things that maybe we've gotten away with for a long time. Insolence to our parents, 
lust, our tempers, insolence towards God. What's happening here is Samson keeps making bad decisions upon bad decisions upon bad decisions. And he starts to think, because God is gracious to him, that he'll just get away with whatever he wants to. He ignores the law. He ignores his parents. He marries Philistine women. He has a drinking party. He's touching dead bodies. He's with a prostitute. He's cutting his hair. His ego has gotten so big, so much better than him. He believes his own hype. He thinks this is all in his own strength. That he's gotten to where he is because of who he is rather than who God is. He goes from heavenly proclamations to being mocked by this invading nation. He went from performing heroic deeds to being a performer for the Philistines' comedic needs. And we all have character flaws, don't we? We all have weaknesses. And I've been thinking about this for myself this week, and um, I've spoken on this before. One of my weaknesses is just not being able to control eating chips and sweets and things like that. And so you notice, oh, Cyril, you're doing good, because I started cutting that stuff out of my, my life. I was getting thinner and skinnier, and then I started working out with someone, and I was, oh, it's going well, I'm going strong. And then one week I can't make the workout session. Next week they can't. Three weeks later, I start seeing it kind of come back. This whole idea of our weaknesses is something that God continually puts before us that we need to keep on. It's not easy. And I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing that out there because I want to confess, like, I am, have weaknesses. There's other weaknesses. This is, this is the reality, isn't it? It's not just like, oh, I beat it. I'm done. I'm Samson. I killed all the chips. Well, I, yeah, I kind of did, I guess, but in the wrong way. This, this is the reality of, of needing to get back up and, and realizing these things are... I, I read something actually on the internet, a friend of mine posted, epic fail of the day award goes to me. Woke up motivated to get gym membership. Put work clo workout clothes on. Filled water bottle. Drove to the gym. Was super busy, so ended up with two bacon double cheeseburgers. <laughs> I feel that. I don't know if you do. I don't know what your weakness is. But this is the thing we're talking about, is being aware of these things and recognizing that epic fails don't come like just in one giant. Often, the fails come because we've slowly but surely allowed these things, these decisions piling on top of each other. Now, every time something goes wrong isn't because you personally failed. But when things go wrong because you personally failed, it's on you. You get what I'm saying there? I'm not saying every bad thing that happens is your own fault. But there's times when we do things and things go wrong on us, and we want to blame God... But really, we're, we're as stupid as Samson. Let's keep going back to that same thing, thinking that somehow, because of his grace, it will never catch up to us. And in the, in the ultimate sense, that's true. But sin is a snowball that's rolling downhill really fast. And I just pray we confess to God our sin, confess to each other our sin, so it stops gaining that momentum I hope we don't wake up like Samson, ready to smite the Philistines. And then go, oh, God, where are you, God? Epic fail. 
How do we battle our weaknesses then, right? It's not this thing like, it's not like, you got to be as strong as Samson. Samson wasn't that strong. The Holy Spirit of God was strong. And you have the Holy Spirit of God residing within you. This means that your weaknesses can be defeated. But that thing that you think, oh, I'll never, I'll never stop, the, the Philistines will never be defeated. God is going to take the Philistines out with the David. The Spirit of God comes upon David and it's done. Samson was promised that he would begin to deliver the Philistine from, Israel from the Philistines. It was the start of a process. And so we have to recognize wherever you are in the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to more and more infuse you, to more and more lead you, that sin will be defeated. That the Holy Spirit of God is the one who allowed Samson to defeat a thousand men. And he will allow you to defeat those deadly weaknesses that lay within your own heart. So that's the first thing I want to talk about, just recognizing the Spirit of God will defeat our own weaknesses if we stop living in our dead old selves and start allowing the Spirit to guide us and walk with him. The second thing I want to point out is God still brings a positive outcome. And I know it seems like a tragedy because we, we have Samson dead at the end of this scene. But what we've seen is the people of God are now being freed. That God has been using this. God is patient. He's there with us the last second. And he answers the prayer of Samson. Do you notice that? The very end, despite everything that Samson's done, despite the fact that he turned his back on God, despite the fact that he broke three of his vows, he, he was doing multiple things that were totally against the law of God, and God has favor on Samson. God gives strength to Samson. God answers Samson. And so wherever you are in this process, and I've seen these things happen, right, where people have weaknesses, maybe it's alcohol, and they defeat it for a while, and then they, they go back, and it, it comes back bigger than it was before. Wherever you are in that stage, God is there with you and for you, and he will forgive you, and he will redeem you. You haven't done anything so great and so horrible that you don't have the love of God still there waiting for you when you confess it and bring it to him. Wow. I need that. So I got some weaknesses that God has to forgive me for, that God has to give me the strength to overcome. And I know what? Probably by the end of time, some of those weaknesses won't even have died yet. I've been struggling with him the very last breath, just like Samson. But God will give me the strength to keep pushing on, and God will listen to my prayers as I confess to him and reach out to him. Despite all of his evil, despite spitting in God's face, Samson was still shown grace. Your salvation is not performance-based. We read in Hebrews 11.32 this. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. 
Samson is looked back on as someone that God used, that someone in his dying breast was faithful to God. That gives me hope. Despite all my monumental epic fails and all my mess up life, that things have gone wrong with me, that God is still willing to use me, and that I will be written as a hero of the faith, I hope that gives you hope. I hope that gives you courage that Samson is regarded as a hero of the faith. Our weaknesses will not prevail. God will not bail even though we go off the rails. He's read your mail. Though you're frail, your spiritual life is stale, you go beyond the pale, evil rails against him to no avail. His love is beyond any skeptic scale. Christ will keep us despite our epic fails. I love the Lord's Supper as a, a beautiful picture of that. First of all, we're freed from any Nazarite vows as we're told to drink the grape whenever we gather. That it's not about just making promises and keeping them to God, right? That's not what our redemption is about. Our redemption is about a God who came to earth, gave himself for our forgiveness, despite all of our epic fails, all the things that we've done that have gone right off. Our Lord looked those in the eyes, he broke bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all those failures, all those sins, all those weaknesses. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim the forgiveness of Christ in your life and the power of the Spirit that comes with that. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for including stories of very flawed, very broken, very stubborn characters like Samson. Because when we see him, Lord God, we're sad to admit often we see parts of ourselves. And we thank you that you used him in the history of salvation and that that would eventually lead to our own freedom through Jesus Christ. We thank you that our Lord gave his body for us. We thank you that he gave his blood for our forgiveness. And we claim, Lord God, that forgiveness as we confess our sins today, as we take the bread, as we take the cup. Lord God, let us live in that forgiveness. Let us live in the power of your Holy Spirit to be freed from our weaknesses and our failures, to recognize that you have grace and that you are with us every step of the way. Amen.